May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. For those of you who may not know, that girl on the screen is my older daughter, Jane. That picture was taken a couple of years ago, and it was shortly after, maybe you already noticed this, the pink cast on her leg, it was shortly after she cracked her tibia. Uh, it's a little bit of a, a strange story, um, because Jane was on her cousin's trampoline, but it was one of those trampolines that has the net all the way around so that kids don't go flying off it and breaking everything like in the good old days. Jane was pretty little though. She couldn't really jump at the time. All she could really do was do laps on it, but she thought that was just the bee's knees. Anyway, on one of those laps, she cried out in pain. Her leg buckled beneath her and she fell onto the trampoline and started crying. Well, after we finally got her comforted, tried to put her down, and she started crying again. She wouldn't put any weight onto her, her left leg. Thought maybe she rolled her ankle or something like that. We weren't sure. But as the day went on, there was really no change. When we went to see the, the holiday lights at the Denver Zoo that night, she didn't want to get out of the stroller and run around. And when there was no change by the next morning, we realized this is maybe a little bit more serious than we thought. So Hannah... My wife brought her in to the, the children's hospital urgent care. They did some x-rays, and sure enough, she had broken a bone running along the trampoline. All of that pain that she was experiencing and expressing was indicating something to us, right? Indicating that something was broken. Well, I want you to think about the various pains and sources of the pains that you experience in your life, and not just the physical pains, but also the emotional, psychological, spiritual pains that you go through. When we talk about these things using today's vocabulary, we tend to speak of all of these pains and the, the associated things as, as like a natural thing, like, like they're just some inherent trait of, of being human. That's just the world that we live in. And so you'll even hear people say things like, to hurt is to be human, or death, right? This thing that probably brings the most pain into our lives, death is a natural part of life. Or this quote from the ever-relevant movie, The Princess Bride, life is pain. But if you could hop into a time machine and travel back to the very beginning of all things, to the Garden of Eden, you would find yourself in a time without such things. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, they, they didn't experience pain, loss, heartache. Not right away, anyway. These things are not a part of that, that natural order at the very beginning. Now think again about Jane's leg, right? Pain was not some inherent trait in the leg. The pain was indicating that something was wrong, right? We found out later that it was broken. 
Similarly, this rings true for us today. The pain means something broken. Violence. Frustrations. Depression. Anxiety. Grief. These are not a part of the natural order of things at the beginning of God's creation. These are not the way that it was meant to be. And I think that on some level, everybody kind of understands that. It's why there are so many activists and, and, and justice movements in our world today, right? Because people see all these problems out there and they want to do something about it. They want to make it right. Why therapists and counselors are booked for months out sometimes because there are so many people who recognize there, there, there's something off inside of me and I want to mend that. When somebody dies from a, a disease or, or maybe from a, a, a terrible accident, right? What happens? The family members, those closest to that person, will often go on some kind of crusade to find the cure, to, to remove whatever ill of society caused that premature death because they know that people shouldn't be going through that kind of pain. But there's a little trouble here, and it's this. That our solutions and fixes solve and fix very little. You might bring relief to a certain situation, but sooner or later that relief is going to be swallowed up by some other trouble, some other problem. Despite all of the activism that we see, this world remains as broken as it's ever been, if not more so. And that's why we need to join Jesus today in the little village of Capernaum on the shores of the Sea of Galilee because here Jesus reveals himself as the one who sets things right. Maybe not always in the ways that we think he ought to, but that's because he has something far bigger, far greater in store for his people. Now, this story that we're going to read takes place on the Sabbath day. Jesus and his disciples were just at the synagogue. They were just at church. And actually, something important happened there that we're going to kind of circle back to next week because I've got some guest preachers that have been helping me out. Things have gotten a little bit shuffled around out of chronological order anyway. That's okay. We can really still get a lot from all of this even if we move those stories around a little bit, okay? Anyway, so that just lays a little bit of the scene for us here as we pick things up in Mark 1, verse 29. As soon as they, so Jesus and his disciples, as soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. Note for just a moment here the thoroughness of what Jesus has done, right? As soon as he lays a hand on this woman, 
It's not like she starts to get better at that time. No, she doesn't even have any lingering fatigue. She gets right up and starts waiting, uh, attending to these people that are in her house. Now, if you're there on that day, you know you've just seen something amazing. And when you've seen something amazing, what do you do? You tell other people. We're going to see here that the news traveled quickly and thoroughly throughout Capernaum. Verse 32, that evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Now we're going to circle back around next week a little bit more to the, the demon part of this. But let's just highlight for a moment the, the people that recognize that they have some kind of brokenness in their lives, and it's very obvious because they have the undeniable symptoms of it in all of the pains and discomforts that they're going through. The doctors can't help them. They can't help themselves. Many of them are probably hopeless by this point, and maybe even just waiting for that day to come when they will die. And then they hear about this Jesus who can bring healing quickly, thoroughly with a word from his lips or the touch of one of his hands. And so they show up at the house that he is staying in in droves. And everybody that came to Jesus with a problem left with that problem undone. Whatever it was that was broken in their lives, Jesus restored. I mean, how amazing this is. Verse 35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. And I think the, dis the, the disciples' enthusiasm here is pretty understandable, right? They have been seeing some incredible things over the past 24 hours, and actually even beyond that. Right? Somebody burning up with fever. Jesus touches them, and that fever drops instantly to a normal 98.6 degrees. Somebody brings to him a family member caught in the grips of a demon. Jesus speaks a word, and the devil in them runs away. Somebody who suffered an unfortunate accident and is spending out the rest of their days as a quadriplegic. Jesus grabs that person, lifts them by the hand, and they walk away. And so the disciples are understandably excited here. Jesus, good thing we found you. We got all these people. We got another full day of miracle working ahead of us, buddy. Come on. Jesus, who has been communicating, praying, to his father has different plans. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Those disciples were all ready for another miracle marathon. Jesus says, no, let's go somewhere else. 
There are other people who need me. Why does Jesus pour cold water over the disciples' fervor, their, their enthusiasm like this? It might help us answer that question to think about the normal kinds of things that we bring before God and ask him to fix, our prayer request list, if you will. Typically, I think, more often than not, the bulk of those prayers consists of a a list of requests asking God for what we might call short-term fixes. For example, the tow truck has just brought your car to the mechanic, and so you pray that God would let the mechanic find a quick solution and that it wouldn't be too costly. But the reality is that sooner or later that car is going to break down again. And when it does, it might be the last time that it breaks down. Right? You're asking for a short-term intervention. Or here's another example. She breaks up with you. So you plead that God would, would bring her back into your life. But even if the best case scenario for you here plays out, she doesn't just come back, but you end up spending your lives together in marriage, that relationship is still going to face plenty of strains in it, and there will be plenty of heartaches associated. Or maybe you ask God to take away some great source of stress in your life. But even if he does, does that mean life is suddenly stress-free? There are plenty of other stressors that come to visit, aren't there? Your spouse is sick. Permanently so. And so you, you, you throw up your hands to heaven and you beg God for that miracle of miracles. But the reality is that whether it comes in this way or in some other way down the future, death will find a way, right? These are just a few examples of these temporary kinds of fixes, temporal solutions that that we ask God for, right? Because we see some urgent need in our lives, and we know that it's there because we are experiencing the immediate pain of that thing. So we ask God to step in and intervene to fix the car, to heal the sickness, to restore the relationship, to create the the better work environment, to fix your kid's broken leg. Now, don't get me wrong here. Jesus does not neglect these things or treat them like they are unimportant. And he doesn't ask us to neglect them or treat them as unimportant, as though Jesus has more important things to do than than, than for us to bring these prayers before him. We're not saying that at all. In fact, Jesus shows just how much he cares about those pains, those sorrows, those heartaches that you're going through today. Jesus, Jesus has a tender heart for whatever it is you are going through. And he demonstrates this through those miracles that he does, not just there in Capernaum, but throughout the Gospels. And yet Jesus also knows 
that he has come for something even bigger than that. And that's why he can't just stay in one place making sure everybody in the town has received that, that miracle that they need. Jesus understands that he has a higher priority, a higher purpose. We see that purpose. Oh, sorry, this is one of our key points, that we prioritize these partial temporary restorations, right? But Jesus' greater reason is here in John, 1 John 3, verse 8. The reason that the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Why is everything broken? Why is there so much heartache, grief, death, when these things were not there at the beginning? It's because Satan, commonly also known as the devil in Scripture, intruded into God's perfect creation. Tempting Adam and Eve to believe that somehow God's perfection was not quite perfect enough for them. And when they turned their backs on God in that first rebellion, when they introduced sin into this creation, so also were introduced with it. Loss. Frustration, anxiety, pain, death. All of these things that, that we fear, all of these things that prey upon us were introduced then. Jesus came not only to undo some of it, not even for an entire town's worth of people, Jesus came to undo all of it, to destroy every single one of these intrusions worked by Satan into God's creation. Jesus came to restore all that is broken by sin. Jesus comes to bring eternal, entire restoration. How does he do this? He does it with that preaching. The message that he brings. The message which calls us and draws us to him. The message by which he makes disciples who follow him. Even to the place of his ultimate brokenness, the cross, disciples who then cling to him there, because there on that cross, Jesus did not just take some sin, some heartache, some pain. There, Jesus bore all of it. Every single sin every last transgression, every grief, every sorrow, every frustration became his. The 
despair and forsakenness of death and hell even itself. The curse of all creation from Adam and Eve onward became Jesus' lot on that cross. And yet there, at the place of his ultimate brokenness, we find our ultimate restoration. We find even the shattering of brokenness itself there because our God and our Savior took that from us and made it all his own. And we see the power, the proof that, that the cross has this power in the empty tomb, in the living body of Jesus Standing there on Easter morning, we see that the cross has the power to do everything that Jesus promises it does. Because there we even see death destroyed. And its power over us undone. Here's what that means for you and me today. Whatever pain, whatever heartache, whatever fear, whatever loss you are going through, whatever way you are broken in body or in spirit, it does not have lasting power over you. Yes, it may bring temporary or even lifelong trouble to you. But it does not get the final word. Because the one more powerful is here. And he has the final word. He demonstrated that authority in those miracles of Capernaum. And he demonstrated it in that greatest display in the cross of Calvary and in his empty tomb on Easter morning. And that very same one who holds this authority over all things now says to you and me, Behold, I am coming soon. And when he does, the Bible says that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay. It's bondage to heartache. It's bondage to death. And brought into the freedom and glory. The children of God. In other words, when that day comes, this, the undoing of this curse, begun and guaranteed at Calvary, will be made all that is sad and all that is bad will be set right. Every evil will be banished. And every broken one of us restored. Made new. Never ever to break again in any way. Not for all the days of forever. As we live under the healing hands of this Jesus, this Lord, this God, this Savior. Close our message today with a prayer. Father of heavenly light, we approach you today
as people who are broken in so many different ways. According to your will, we ask that you would bring healing and restoration to the various pains and heartaches of our lives. Relieve us from our frustrations. Lift us up from our sorrows and calm our fears with your peace. Lord, we know that whatever troubles we may deal with on this earth, we can still look forward to a time that is coming when these things will be no longer. And we thank you for that hope we have in our Savior and Redeemer, Jesus, who brings us full and forever healing in his nail-pierced hands. Lord God, help us now as your people also to share this restoration with others through our deeds of love and charity and through our spirit-filled words. Make us instruments of your gospel to those around us so that many more would taste and see your goodness, your love, and your mercy in Jesus and become heirs with us of that undying hope that we have in him. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Amen.